the house of prayer, the house of store, or the storehouse. We're more used to hearing it said storehouse, but really it's a place of store. It's a, it's a place of having an abundance of spiritual anointing, financial means to do God's work. You know, you, you can't do God's work if you're, if you're the needy one. Can I get an amen? The apostle says, that which I have, I give unto you. And if you're the needy one, you can't help people. That's why we need to learn how to get our needs met so we can help others uh, get their needs met. Amen? Amen. It's pretty simple. And, you know, you can't lead someone if you're in the dark yourself. And there's a lot of people in the dark today. And God's wanting us to lead. You know, the blind are leading the blind, but they're both ending up in a pit. Proverbs is very clear about that, and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of pit living these days. The pig pen is a pit. And I don't want to live there. I don't want to lead anybody there. I don't want to... Uh, see anybody stay there. I want to pull them up out of that. And God wants us to have a better life, a more abundant life. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We all know that. But today my title is The House of Sending and Compelling. And there are some responsibilities in the Christian life that we need to take heed to. There are some things that as we grow in grace that we need to start taking responsibility. We need to start taking leadership. You know, there's three levels of relationship. We should have three levels. We should have fathers, we should have fellows, and we should have followers. You're not healthy if you don't have all three of those. You need fathers in your life to be a guide to you, to, be, to parent you, to mentor you. You need fellows. That's where we get the word fellowship. We need fellows who are equal running partners, And they inspire each other. They're the iron sharpening iron. Iron doesn't sharpen itself, by the way. But that's an iron sharpening iron. And you need some running partners. You need somebody that can't outrun you by a mile but isn't behind you a mile. Somebody that can help set your pace with you. Uh, Someone that you're fairly equally yoked with. You need those fellows. And a marriage partner is a fellow. It better not be a father or a follower. Otherwise, you're going to have a very bizarre relationship So you need to have equal yokedness in that fellow relationship. Then you need followers because followers will will bring you to the final level of maturity. Followers will cause you to have to get your life right, keep it right, display and model your life and pour out your life and mentor your life for others. And that's the most mature is when you have to start fathering others, when you have to start being the model when you have to start being the mentor, when you have to be the one doing the most pouring out, then you will have achieved that level where Paul said, follow me. When you are good enough at following Jesus, then you can say, follow me. Because to follow you would be to follow Jesus since you're already following him. So if you don't have those three levels, you're, uh, you, you need to get into a place where you do. And so it's very important that we follow and that we fellow, and that we lead people. So today I'm going to be talking about the house of sending and compelling, sending out and compelling others to come in. It is imperative for the church, and I, and I want to speak to you too today about the centrality of the church and the body of Christ. It is central. It is not a side issue. The, the parachurch organizations, they're, they're all right, they're fine, but they should only be outgrowths from the church. Let's bow our heads, let's pray, and then we'll get into the word today. Father, I just thank you for your goodness. Lord, as we come today, I ask that you give me clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit. Father, I ask for everyone here to have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of your word. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you would just change us. Father, that you would grab our attention. Father, you'd awaken us. Father, you'd compel us to be obedient, to be discipled ones, disciplined ones, And, Father, uh, that we might obey your word and know the truth because the truth will make us free. And we only know the truth if we're doers of the word. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Turn with me to Luke 14 and 23. This is our keynote verse. And then we're going to go back and we're going to kind of do a little expository walking through of this verse, several verses. And 14 and 23 says this. It says, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out. You ought, to, you ought to just really underline servant. The Lord said unto the servant, are you a servant today? He'll pour out his spirit on his servants, it says. He doesn't pour out his, his, his spirit on people who aren't serving. 
That's why a lot of people are so troubled because they don't have the Holy Spirit in their life in an outpouring type of measure. Uh, he pours his spirits out on his servants, it says in Acts 2. But I like this because it says, And the Lord said unto his servant, How many of you want to endeavor to be a servant today to the Lord? That's, that's, that's an imperative. That's not, a, that's not an option, by the way, just in case you didn't know that. Uh, we're, we're commanded to be servants. It's an imperative. So, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges. And you ought to circle, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in. And you ought to circle, come in. You ought to just put a circle around servant, go out, and then come in. That my house may be filled. God is never happy with a not full house. God wants that. So today we're talking, we're talking about the house of sending out and compelling to come in, or the house of going out and coming in. You know, we talked about the house of prayer, Matthew 21, 13. Jesus declared his houses to be a house of prayer. He de- demonstrated he was a, a mobile house of prayer. He is the house of God. He housed God, and he was all about prayer. He says, I do nothing but what the Father shows me. And you can see his life, everything he did, he went into prayer. And he went out and then acted out what he received in prayer. Number two, we said that the house of God needs to be the house of store or a storehouse. And Malachi said, when you uh, bring meat into the house and take care of the, the minister, where the minister can spend his time in the Word of God, and he can become focused on the Word of God, then there's a blessing that gets poured out on you. And you bring the finances in, to, to, uh, the tithe, because the tithe belongs to the minister, it says. It says he's given, that the tithe is the Lord's, and he has given it to the Levites. That's what it says. And I mean, read it, Numbers 18. Very clear. That the tithe belongs to the Lord, but he has given it to the Levites, the minister. So you say, well, he's trying to steal my money. No, the people doesn't tithe. is stealing my money, stealing God's money, stealing the minister's money, stealing the Levite's money. It's just the opposite of the way an unrenewed mind thinks. And so when you understand that, then you say, well, why is that? Because the Bible says that it's not good for the minister to leave the word of God in prayer for your sake, not for his sake, for your sake. And when you understand that the word of God multiplies in the people, in the community, only to the degree that it multiplies in the minister. Because God has sent the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to perfect the saints, to equip the saints. In other words, he's, he's called, you know, apostles, prophets. He's set apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. In other words, you could say he has set preachers in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And what do you equip them with? The word and the spirit. Somebody say amen. So if the preacher is this guy that's working, you know, 70 hours a week and then goes and throws together a, you know, a a reader's guide sermon for you, don't be surprised if there's no anointing in his life or your life or anybody around you. So it's imperative that you understand the, the centrality of the church and the centrality of preaching and the centrality of providing some type of a venue for a person to get into the word and go deep into the word so we can come back and share it with the rest. Can I get an amen? That is, that is central to the Christian message. And that's why the storehouse is central and is so important to understand that that's why. you know, Because people need to know why does there need to be money involved? Isn't everything from God free? Well, no. It, it just isn't. Any more than you want to go to work and get a paycheck too. Can I get an amen? And, so, and how do you value the word? You know, you'll pay your doctor and you'll pay your lawyer well. Because you value what they bring. Well, how much do you value the word? One preacher says, you can't pay me enough. And he was a preacher that he, 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 he just, and he was, he, his dad was a multimillionaire. And he says, I don't, I don't need anybody to pay me anyway. But, but the bottom line is this. He says, you can't pay enough because how can you put a price on the word? It's all, you, don't, you don't pay a preacher, you honor the minister. Amen. Hirelings get salaries. Preachers get honor. It says, give those who labor, especially labor in the word, very much. You know, the type of guys that write books, the type of guys that just don't give little generic sermons, the type of guys that are putting out articles, the guys that are really laboring in the word, really producing something for the people, are worthy of double honor. Amen. That's why the storehouse is an important place. And then there needs to be finances for people. Finances for 
benevolence, for needs, for buildings, for missionaries and sending out people into ministry, sending people to Bible college, sending out into the mission field and, and taking new ground. How many of you want to take new ground? Thousands of Muslims are getting saved. Thousands of Muslims have more supernatural experiences than anybody in America. Supernatural stuff is, is happening all over the world. It's exciting. It's wonderful. But if we don't have money, we can't fund it. We can't get people out there to when it happens that they can go in, form churches, and have pastors, get some teaching, get some books, and actually begin to establish these saints that are having these supernatural experiences. It, it, it must be done. It's scriptural to do that. So there has to be a storehouse. And then there has to be a house of sending. Going to the third thing. There has to be a house of sending and bringing people in. Because you know what? They're not just going to come in. Lost people don't just come to church. 86% of the people who get born again in America, statistics show, this is church growth statistics, 86% of them get born again still, not on street ministry, not on television ministry, not on radio ministry, 86% still in America get saved when family and friends invite them to a church service and they come forward and get born again. 86%. Well, that's where I'm going to put my money. That's where I'm going to put my efforts. Because I'd rather have 86% than 14%. How about you? So the church, the local church is still central, no matter what George Gallup says or anybody else says. The local church is still the central hub of the activity of God's kingdom, and it needs to stay that way. As a matter of fact, in Timothy, it says it is the ground and the pillar of the truth. Our founders understood that. They even understood it to be the ground and the pillar of the truth in politics and civics. And all the policy and the legislation that was produced in the early part of our country came straight from the pulpits. And many times they were taking it straight off the transcript of the preacher's sermons, the, the early Puritan preacher sermons. And they were making their laws directly based on the scriptural references. And what was said in their Sunday morning pastor's sermon is how our founders of this greatest country on earth, of the longest, longest standing constitution that's ever been in in, in, in the human race, was taken from the scriptures that was in the preacher sermons from Sunday morning in the local church. Somebody say amen. The centrality of the local church is greatly misunderstood. And what we've got to understand is it is the place of sending out and it is the place of bringing in. This is home, folks. This needs to be home. This is where God's people are. This is where they, well, the Holy Spirit dwells in me, Pastor Bill, not that building. Well, yeah, we know that, but guess what? Everybody comes to that building that has the Spirit of God inside of them to be where two or more are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of thee. So we've got to understand that. Otherwise, we, we just, you know, we'll watch TBN and we'll go off here and we'll go there and we'll do this and... You know, to not come to church is really selfish. It's an expression of selfishness. It's my life's more important, what I'm doing, than God and his kingdom and his agenda. My agenda trumps God's. Well, that's not lordship. Somebody say amen. Now you're looking at me with that perplexed look again. Say, we still love you, Pastor Bill. Amen. I just was wondering there for a second. But anyway, these things are important. We've got to face up. We've got to realize that God calls us to go out and bring the lost in. And, and this portion of scripture is very, very profound. You know, the Bible says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Gives a whole bunch of signs. And, and that's really not talking geographically. If you look up the Greek word, it says, Go into every man's sphere. That's what the Greek word means. That's not the geographical Great Commission. Acts 1.8 is. Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. They may be my witness in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, that's geographical because it lists different locations. That's the geographical Great Commission. But there's a people-type Great Commission spoken of in Mark 16, chapter, verses 15 and 16, going to all the world. It's talking about spheres of people. You don't have to leave Oskaloosa, Iowa to fulfill Mark 16, 15, and 16. 
You can go into all the world's spheres. You can go into the medical sphere. You can go into the legal sphere. You can go into the uh, manufacturing sphere. You can go into the sphere of the drug culture. You can go into the sphere of, you know, the, the culture that, you know, is part of your life and where you work at and what you do and what your social circle is. You can do that scripture without setting foot outside of Oskaloosa. And a lot of people will spend thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars to go place missionaries and do all kinds of work every place else except in their hometown. But God's talking about our hometown in Mark, in Mark 16, 15, 16. Can I get an amen? amen. He truly is. It, it's not some, well, you know, I, I, I just go to church or, or I send my money to take, you know, send people all over the world. And I've done the Great Commission because I'm partnered up with it. No, that's partially true. We need to be soul winners ourselves. We need to do the work of an evangelist. We don't have to be an evangelist to do the work of an evangelist. And as we, as we understand that, we're to go into all the world. You know, Julie and I, you know, you say, well, I, you know, I, I don't know if I want to go there. I don't, you know, Julie and I, God sent us to Oskaloosa, Iowa. We, we, were, we had other churches that voted unanimously to, take, to bring us on board. We had one guy says, you, you, says, you really don't want to go there. He was under my in my leadership, and he says, "You really want to go there?" Like I'm saying, well, why, "Why wouldn't I want to go there?" And you know, it was a church in Des Moines, and they had a better building, they had uh, a better praise and worship team at the time, they had probably no doubt way more pay and and a lot more people and a lot town that we really wanted to live in, and and nothing against Oskaloosa, we love Oskaloosa. But we just kind of wanted to live there. We were young, and we kind of liked Des Moines. I used to live there, and Julie used to live there. And God said, nope, you're going to Oskaloosa. Amen. You know, you've got to let God send you. A lot of people are very self-willed. The Bible, you know, it says, we all like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned each one to his own way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. You can't just go your own way. Not have Jesus as your Lord. You don't just go to whatever church you feel like going to. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, God sets every member into the body as it pleases him. He will set you in where it pleases him, not where you want to go. Because you know what? If we'd have gone where we wanted to go, we'd have gone to that church, and later on that church just blew up with a whole bunch of strife, and the, and the elder board blew up and, and everything, and that church doesn't exist today. And we're still here winning souls, praise God. Amen. I'd rather be here. I'd rather be in God's will than any other place on earth. It's God's will that will bring joy to your soul. All right, let's, keep, let's go back. Luke 14. I get, I get off. don't mean to get off so far that. Then said he unto a certain man. We're just going to go to Luke 14, 16. Then he said unto a certain man who made a great supper, and he bade many. In other words, he invited many to come. And he sent his servant. There it is. Servants allow their masters to send them. Everybody say that with me. Servants allow their masters to send them where he wants them. Amen. Sent his servant at supper time to say unto them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one excuse, excuse me, with one consent, began to make excuse. Boy, I've heard that before. There's a lot of excuses out there in the church world why you can't obey God. I'm looking you know, for people who have an excuse why they can't obey the world and they want to obey God. How about making excuses not to sin instead of to, to not obey God? But the natural propensity is to begin to make excuses why you can't do what God has commanded you to do. I've found myself, how many have ever caught yourself doing that? Yeah. I've caught myself doing it. We've all done it. But we, we need to, to, to stand up and say, you know what? No, I'm going to obey. If the, if the Bible says I can do this, then I can do it. If I can, I, I can be faithful, I can be a giver, I can walk in love, I can be an overcomer, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. If God says so, I can do it. And I'm going to make my flesh, I'm going to put my flesh under. And I'm going to have faith. I'm not going to have fear. I can do it. 
But they all began to make an excuse. And one, and the three, and these are the three idols of, of excuse makers, property, business, and family. If you look there, you can see that those three things are, are ageless. It's always been that way, always will be this way. Jesus made it clear to us that their excuses were one had to buy a piece of ground, the other one had to go uh, use his ox, and that was his business, to do his business, and the other one had to go to a, to a, a family affair, uh, marrying of a wife, and it's always property, business, and family that will keep people from obeying God and going to the master's house. They were all invited to the master's house for a great supper, and they all began to make excuse, and the three of them, there's three of them given property, your business, and your family, your, you know, your vocation or your business, your, your affairs, whatever, and your family. So it's, it's things, it's family, and it's business, it's job, it's all those things that many people will use an excuse as to why they can't do God's will. It happens all the time. I've seen it. In verse 21, it says, So the servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said unto his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in. Everybody say, go out and bring in. Go out and bring in. Very simple. But we see that again. This is the second time it's mentioned in this portion of Scripture. Go out quickly into the streets, lanes of the city, and bring in hither. The poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. In other words, needy people. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. Yet there is room. And the Lord said unto him, go out. Everybody say, go out. See, into the highways and hedges again and compel them. Again, what does it say? And come in. Everybody say, come in. So there's a going out and a coming in. There's a, you know, when you come in, you're getting filled with the word. You're getting filled with the spirit. You're getting filled with uh, faith because faith comes by hearing her by the word of God. And then you go out and you dispense and you compel and you love, you heal, you lay hands on people. You pray for them. You help them. You give them of yourself and then you bring them in. That is God's plan, and if we ever go away from that, we will become a post-Christian nation. There's a lot of post-Christian churches, and that's really sad. I'm serious. There's a lot of post-Christian churches. 86% of the clergy in America don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. They don't believe in the divinity of Christ. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. There's a lot of not only post-Christian people, but... There's post-Christian churches. And post-Christian churches are the way to having a post-Christian nation. Because you've got a lot of post-Christian pastors who don't believe. Oh, they, they've gone, uh, you know, to, to, the, uh, to the schools of repute who will tell you that, you know, we know now the Bible really isn't inerrant. It has all kinds of contradictions. Nobody believes that anymore. And they're putting them out of our seminaries in large numbers. They worship social justice, which is an unscriptural twistedness. It's a socialist idea, ideology, and they're coming out of the seminaries. And, you know, my dad gave me a statistic. 51% of the clergy in 1955 were proclaimed atheists. It used to be very vogue to be an atheist and teach theology. Uh, Iowa State University, one great acclaim is the fifth most Christian unfriendly campus in America. Because Hector, what's Hector's last name again? Anyway, he's the guy, he's, the, he's got a Harvard PhD. He teaches Old Testament, and he teaches all the Old Testament classes at Iowa State. And he's a vowed, proclaimed atheist, and he wants your little naive freshman coming into college to become one with him. He makes no bones about the fact that he is truly uh, proselytizing for atheism in the secular university and, no, and none of the donors seem to be real pro- have a problem with it, which makes me really sad. The donors should be rising up like Bob Vanderplatz did. When there was a particular school that his kid went to, and there was a, a nutcase the, theology professor there telling everybody to read pornographic literature in one of their theology classes out loud in the class. He says, you need to get over it. If, if you can't handle doing that. Well, he went after the donors and said, you need to quit sending money. And I think that that guy either is or is on his way out eventually here. But see, we need to stand up against those type of things. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of things out there 
that we, we need to realize that if we aren't going out and coming in and churches begin to die and there's not one, not one county in the United States of America where there's been any true net growth in the, in the Christian churches. There's been a lot of transfer growth, a lot of little churches closing down. 15,000 pastors a month go out and leave the ministry. And what that does is it causes little churches to fold and then go and be integrated into the bigger churches. It's all transfer growth right now. There's more people dying physically than being born spiritually. That makes sense. More Christians dying physically than being born spiritually. That means a net growth is going down. So why is that? Because we as Christians must understand the centrality of the church and the centrality of the Great Commission of going out and ministering to people, and then bringing them in. And you say, well, I'm not good at get, preaching to them. I'll bring them in here, I'll preach to them. Amen. I'm not good at getting people saved. Well, I'm good at give, I can give altar calls all day long. Come on. See, we need to be going out. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Somebody invited King David to go to church. Right. I was glad when they, everybody say they, yeah. said unto me, let us, plural, go to the house of the Lord. Going to the house of the Lord should be a group activity. And he was glad about it. He wasn't sad. He wasn't mad. He was glad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We should have a culture of inviting people to church. And that's what the house of sending and coming back in is all about. And it says that the Lord, he was angry. You know, the servant said, Lord, it is done. Thou hast commanded and yet there's room. And the Lord said, said to, unto his servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Earlier it says that the master of the house was angry. Verse 21, it says that he was angry. He says it isn't full. It's not full. Why, why isn't it full? What, you know, we, we, need to, we need to fill the Lord's house. And we need to bring the, the harvest in. And we, now, we, we need to be doing that and, and working on that at all times. Amen. Amen. See, I believe this. It's one thing to go out. It's another thing to be sent out. And we need to allow God, we need to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. It says in Matthew 9, 37, 38, that we're to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into the harvest. Being sent is completely different than just going out. A lot of people just think, well, we're being sent out every Sunday. No, 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 no. Just going out and being sent out is like night and day difference. There is no comparison. They're not even in the same universe together of just going out and being sent out. That's why, otherwise, why would you say, pray that the Lord of hearts would send people? You know, I remember when I was at Mor- when, I, when we pastored in Kentucky, and we lived in that same town where that lady, who's the lady that's been in the news lately that would not issue a same-sex marriage? Kim Davis. Uh, Kim Davis. We're in the same town where Kim Davis was. Morehead State University there. It's a, it's a D2 school, probably about 10,000 people, wasn't it? Eight, ten thousand 10,000 people when we were there. I think it's bigger than that now. But anyway, John, uh, what's John's last name? He, how did, um, John Gibson. A friend of mine, he was in the church. His name is John Gibson. He's now the head of the school at Rod Parsley's church. And uh, he used to go to our church. I remember going and uh, saying, we're going to go to the campus tonight. We're going to win souls. I said, now we're going to pray that God leads us to the harvest. In other words, those who are ripe. Remember Jesus said, pray with the Lord of the harvest. We'll send you into the harvest. For the harvest is ripe. The implied thing is, let God send you to the ripe ones. Why would you go try to pick, you know, uh, an apple that hasn't formed on a tree yet? Kind of hard to do that. Seed's been sown, uh, and there's going to be an apple that's going to grow but you can't go there before the apple forms. You've got to be there when the apple forms and is ripe, and then you pick it, right? You don't go pick it before it forms. Uh, there's a formation of hunger for God that takes place in lost people. And God wants to send you to the ripe ones. Smith Wilkesworth said, he'd get up every morning and said, Lord, send me the one that's nearest to eternity, that's ready. God would send him, you know, one guy, he, he, he went to a guy, and uh, he, he jumped up, and the Lord says, here's the one. He went and jumped up on the wagon. He shared the gospel with the guy. The guy didn't, didn't want to and didn't want to. And he says, I know you're the one. God told me that you're, you're ripe and ready for attention. Finally, the guy broke down and cried and, and accepted Jesus and got born again. 
And the next morning, and he was the milkman. The milkman didn't show up, and he asked the neighbor, well, where's the milkman? He says, oh, by the way, he died last night. God can send you to the one that needs to be sent to that day. And so John and I, we, we prayed, and we said, Lord, send us. We went to 12 rooms that night, and we got 12 kids saved that night. Every single room we went to, they accepted Jesus and got born again. See, there's a world of difference between just going out to work. You know, some people go to work. Other people go into all the world to preach the gospel. And it's like night and day difference. One is spiritually alive, the other one's just dead activities. And you've got to choose to let the Holy Spirit send you. You've got to pray that the Holy Spirit sends you. You're the labor that needs to be prayed for. Amen? Does anybody get anything out of this? You're all really quiet. <clears throat> And when you understand that, you know, in Macedonia, Paul went several places, and the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 no. Then he had a dream, and the Holy Spirit said, yes. Let me read that little account. This, this is one of the most phenomenal accounts. This is what happened that night in Moorhead State University when we went to 12 different rooms, prayed before every one of them, Lord, send us. And we didn't just go down the hall room to room to room to room. We, we went, and we just went until all of a sudden this, this door right here. Look what Paul did. It says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and throughout the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to go preach the word in Asia. Forbidden. Don't go there. And after they were come to Messiah, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. He said, Don't go there. And they, passing by Messiah, came to Troas, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. That's like that night we would go by a door and say, No, no. Then all of a sudden we'd say, Let's go in here. And every single one of them, we led somebody to the Lord that night. And I've never had anything quite that amazing happen since. But I know that it does happen. I know God can lead you to people. I know there's people that are hurting. There's people that are wishing you would talk to them about God. There's people needing you for you to talk to them about God, about salvation, about their lost condition. There's people that are going to die and go to hell if we don't talk to them about God. And God can lead you to who those people are. In Acts, the eunuch was ready and he was ripe. Acts, the eighth chapter, the Spirit of God appeared to, the Spirit of God spoke to, it's called the angel Lord, spoke to Philip and said, Go down to such and such a place, and on the road there'll be an Ethiopian eunuch, and he'll be in a chariot and he'll be reading from Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, and he's needing someone to explain it to him, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Anybody remember that story in Acts, the eighth chapter? He sent him to a guy who was sitting there reading the Bible, trying to figure out what does this mean. And over here, God's speaking to one of his servants to be sent, and he sent him there, and the guy got saved and baptized. Now, you could go all day long talking to people, trying to get him saved, or you can be sent forth by the Holy Ghost to people who are needing for you to, to speak to them. You know, and here's the scripture that really nails it for me. How important this is. Go to Romans 10, 13. You know, Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not heard, believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? See, we need to be a house of sending out and coming back in. Even Paul was sent. Acts 13, it says, Now there were certain prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch, and it lists a bunch of names, and they all began to pray, and they began to minister to the Lord in prayer. And then they, uh, it says, The Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, Send uh, Paul and Barnabas where into the work that I have called them. And they, then they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, were sent out from the book of Acts, chapter 13, Antioch Church. After they had prayed, after they had laid hands on them, they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost. And Paul, that started Paul's miraculous ministry. He was sent forth. How many of you want to be sent forth into your job every day? Yes, See, I don't want to just go to work. Going to work is boring. Right. I remember I, I, when I went to work, I, I witnessed to every single person that I ever worked with. 
our conversations most of the time were either them taunting me about theology or me teaching them about theology. Asking me provocative questions, trying to catch me in something biblical, or me explaining things. We never had normal conversations any place I worked. Rarely do we have normal conversations. You either dominate or you'll be dominated. And if you're hiding out, some little cowardly Christian, shame on you. Because God has given us the spirit of boldness. He has not given me the spirit of timidity. I don't know about you, but he's not given me the spirit of timidity. But power, love, and a sound mind. And the only mind that is sound is one that's not timid. Timid is filled with fear. And fear is the antithesis of faith. And only by faith can you please God. So those things are important. It's awful quiet in here. But you know, I believe this. God wants us to go into all the world and preach. And, you know, there are, there are so many things uh, that I see in Psalms 126.6. It says, they go out with, tear, with tears, sowing precious seed, but they come again with sheaves rejoicing. Sometimes it's hard. In other words, with tears with the seed. How many of you know that verse in Psalms 126.6? They go forth with tears, with precious seed. You know, when you start sowing seed into people's lives, there's going to be tears because you're going to find out there's lost people, there's hurting people, there's people that are going to reject you. There's, there's a lot of hardship when you find out about people's lives. There's a lot of hardship being rejected. And you go out with precious seed, and when you bring the word of God, you'll provoke people. Anybody getting this? You will provoke people when you... Because, you know, the gospel's an offense to those who are perishing. And you will provoke people, and you'll get negative responses... And sometimes you'll get people saved, and then you'll have tears of joy, and you'll come back with rejoicing, the Bible says. The sheaves are the fruits. That psalm is very profound. It says when you go out with, with precious seed, it'll be with tears. There'll be tears in the conflict. There'll be tears in the sorrow. There'll be tears in the compassion that you have for people. There'll be tears in the joy when they get saved. And then there'll be a returning with the sheaves. That's the fruit. That's the people that get born again. And you return with the fruit, with the harvest. It says there'll be great rejoicing. See, what the church doesn't need is another Holy Ghost meeting for joy. We need to win souls and we'll have joy. Sometimes that's a replacement. I believe in Holy Ghost meetings. I believe in laughing in the Holy Ghost. I believe in all that stuff. It's great. It's wonderful. I'm all into it. I'm all for it. But I'll tell you what. If you want real joy, deep joy, uh, enduring joy, it'll come from winning souls. Just like having babies. Having a child brings great joy to your life. Having spiritual children will bring great, lasting joy to your life. A lot of Christians are depressed. They don't know why. It's because they're not soul winners. They're not out winning lost people to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And that is so important. And, it, and again, we go out and we come in. In Matthew 8, 8 and 16 and 17, you know, I can't tell you the scripture after 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 scripture where it says they brought unto him. Matthew 8, Matthew 8 7, 16 and 17, for instance, it says, When evening was come, they brought unto him. Many were possessed with devils. And he cast the spirits out with his word, and he healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled by that which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities, and he bare our sicknesses. I can show you scripture after scripture where it says, They brought unto him. The little woman, the Syrophoenician woman from Canaan with the demon-possessed child that came to Jesus and said, you know, first of all, she said, A son of David, appealing to his messianic uh, expectations. And then she bowed down and worshipped him, appealing to the fact that he was God. And then she called him Lord and Master. And then he says, Okay, I will heal your child. And she said that, you know, even the dogs get to eat the bread. He rejected her three times to heal her child. And then finally, after three times, when she said, even the dogs eat off the table, and, and she called him master, he says, great is your faith. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, it says, mega is your faith. That's the only place in the Bible that says that about any person. You see, it's so important that we understand that God wants us to go out. And she brought her child, and her child got healed. The two men that lowered the man down through the roof, it says that Jesus said that was their faith is the reason why he got healed. It'll be your faith why certain people get uh, saved and are in heaven for eternity. It'll be your actions, not theirs. It was their actions of two men that lowered the guy down through the roof and Jesus got him healed. He didn't say that the man on the pallet's faith got him healed. He says the two men that lowered him got him healed. It'll be your faith that will get other people healed. Healed and born again today. Somebody say amen. 
But Luke 4.40, it says they brought unto him. And, and I could go through a litany of scriptures where it says they brought unto him. Psalms 122, you know, David says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So three levels of maturity in Revelation uh, concerning God's house. Number one, the lost and the babes don't get themselves to church. Children in Christ get themselves to church. Mature believers get other people to church. Let me say the lost and baby Christians, just say that, lost and baby Christians don't get themselves to church. Young children in the Lord, just say young children age, get themselves to church. Mature Christians get others to church. Now, I'll never forget, we used to have Arabian horses, and we used to show them. My sisters used to ride English-style riding, and, and we used to show horses and go to these horse shows in Des Moines and all over. And we, we loved horses, and we raised them, and we, we'd have them trained, and we'd show them and all that good stuff. And So I remember one time, you know, when a horse would have a colt, a mare would have a colt, by the time they were a weanling, what you call a weanling, I can't remember if you weaned them at like nine months or something like that, but by that time they were a yearling, they should be weaned from their mother. How many of you know what weaned means? They no longer nurse. And of course, you would take them and man, would they throw a fit. And you might just forget about sleeping that night because you could hear those horses screaming for the mother and the mother screaming for its baby all night long. It'd take several days to get them weaned. And they'd throw a fit. Sometimes they'd jump fences. Sometimes they'd just go nuts. And, but you'd finally get them weaned. And then, you know, next, you know, by the next year, by the time they're a yearling, sometimes you'd wait till they're two. You'd put them back in, maybe with the brood mares and with the other mares, and uh, let them run with them because they were weaned. And they'd, they'd, they'd hopefully had forgotten about that. And they got used to eating, you know, uh, good oats and and all the supplements we'd put in, hay and fresh water, and they, they, they didn't need their mother's mammary system anymore to feed them. They could do it themselves, and, and they would be, you know. And I'll never forget one time, we had a mare who just had a baby colt. Colt was just a few weeks old, and that baby colt had just mastered, you know, nursing and, and was getting fed, and everything was going just right, just what you, exactly what you want when you raise livestock. And uh, we, we made the mistake of turning out last year's colt, who is now over a, year, over a year old, yearling, now had been weaned for many, many months, had come completely independent of his mom, and we go out there, and there's that stupid one-year-old nursing off the mother, and the baby can't get anything to eat. You know, when Paul rebuked them for being on milk and not graduating to meat, immediately my mind went to the scriptures and thought, that's what Paul was talking about. The mother is going to be so consumed with that one-year-old who should be weaned off milk, should be self-sufficient, should be growing and feeding itself on its own, and now it has to spend all of its time being dominated by this yearling, and that little colt could die of starvation because the mother now can't spend the time taking care of it because now it's, getting, it's nursing something that should be way beyond the time it should have been nursed. Paul says, in the time that you should have been teachers, I had to give you milk again. Yeah. Anybody remember that over there in Hebrews 5? Yep. See, we've got to grow up. We've got to make room for the next crop. And we've got to hold the door open and help them come in, not stand there and shut the door on their face after we made it through, or slam the door in their face after, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm in, I'm in the ark, praise God, who cares who's behind me, let the door slam in their face. No, we need to stay there, we need to hold the door open, we need to go out and get them, we need to bring them in, and then we need to let them have the milk, and we'll get our own meal. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. See, I'll never forget seeing that big, I went out there, I grabbed one of our whips, one of the training whips, I went up behind her and whack, get out of there. Ran that thing off into another paddock or another lot. And I thought, man, what's that thing doing? It has digressed and went backwards. Now that's what a lot of people do. And I think that's a terrible way uh, to fall back. God wants us to mature. God wants his house filled. 
says that he was angry that the house be not filled. Turn with me to Proverbs 14, 28. Here's another scripture why God wants his house filled. Jesus is disgraced when the house of God is not full. Prince Jesus, everybody say, Prince Jesus is disgraced. See, when the house isn't full, our prince, the Lord Jesus, who's called the Prince of Peace, is disgraced by it. Proverbs 14. And verse 28, look what it says. It says, in the, multitude, in the multitude of people, the king's is the king's honor. In the multitude of people is the king's honor. How many know Jesus is king of kings? Amen. But in the want of people is the destruction of the prince. When we don't show up, it's, it's the destruction of Prince Jesus. It's the, the destruction of his lordship. It's the destruction of his fame in the earth. You know, Jesus is so great. He's so wonderful, neighbor. I'm trying to tell you about Jesus today. He's so wonderful. He's so great. Then we go to church and it's empty. Well, yeah, he looks like a lot of people must think he's really great. Nobody's here. Maybe he isn't all that great. The rest of the culture is off to the ball game. They're off doing their, uh, their hobby. They're off doing this. They're off doing that. They're, you know, their business, uh, those three things that we just read about in Luke 14. They're doing everything but, oh, Jesus must not be that great. The destruction... And the want of people is the destruction of the prince. When we don't show up for the Lord, we don't invite and bring people in for the Lord. It's not my destruction. It's not the church's destruction. I mean, the, the, the building's not going to fall down. I'm not going to self-destruct and blow up and blow away. It's the destruction of Jesus. It's the destruction of the prince. It's the dishonoring of his kingliness, his lordship, his greatness, our affection towards him is greatly demeaned. And we need to have, in the multitude of people, is the king's honor. Everybody say, in the multitude, Jesus is honored. Jesus is honored. A full house, Jesus is honored. God wants us to be a house of sending and bringing in. And we can go out, or we can just be sent out. You know, if we go out to make money, and don't make disciples. If you, you know, you can go out to make money and have no, never make a disciple. You, you can work for 40 years in the same building with the same people and never lead anybody to Jesus. You can go out and make money every day for 40 years and never make a disciple by going to work every day with a certain attitude. There's an attitude that goes, I'm going to work. I'm going to put my time in. I'm going to work. I'm going to get paid for it. I'm going to use that money, I'm going to pay my bills, and I'm going to be taken care of. Because I'm going there to work. Or, let me, give you, let me submit to you, being sent to work. Being sent to work looks like this. I go to work to, to win souls. I go to work to make disciples. I go to work to further the kingdom of God. I go to work being sent by the Holy Spirit to address whatever needs to be addressed that day spiritually. And not, not taking up all the time when you should be working. Don't do that. And I win souls, I bring change to people's life through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word. I make an eternal difference between my, in my reward. I make an eternal difference in those families' rewards, and the parents, and maybe their kids. I bring the kingdom of God with me when I go, and I still get paid for every, every hour I work there. See, one goes to work and gets, the work, gets paid and never makes a soul. The other person goes there to win souls and wins souls and also gets paid. Which is the better deal? Which is the better deal? The person who goes there to win souls. Because he's going to work and he's going to get paid anyway. I mean, you go there to win souls unless you get stupid and take all your time talking to people when you're supposed to be working. But you can talk to them on breaks. You can talk to them before and afterwards. You can pray for them. You can, you can hand them a track. You can give them a Bible. I mean, don't, don't be obnoxious and run everybody off. But if you go there to win souls and be led by the Holy Spirit, you can accomplish everything that needs to be done spiritually and still put your 40 hours in, still get paid just as much, your paycheck's just as good, or you can go just go to work instead of being sent to work. Okay, I'm going to work, and I'm not going to talk to anybody about Jesus. I'm going to put my time in. I'm going to hit the punch. I'm going to do my job all day long. I'm going to leave, and nobody's going to know I'm a Christian. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to be changed, and nothing's going to be done because I went to work. It was go into all the world while I went or be sent by the Holy Spirit and go into all the world to preach the gospel. 
because that's your spirit. And you can go in there and make enormous differences, further the kingdom of God, go out and compel them and bring them into church, and you'll still get paid the same amount of money. You'll accomplish two things instead of just one. It's a powerful concept. How many of you want to be sent out instead of just go out? See, I want to be sent out. I want my days to have eternal effects. My time here is limited on earth. Your time is limited on earth. You're going to give an account for every day and every dollar. And you're going to give an account for every opportunity. And you're going to give an account for everything that God was trying to tell you to do, but you didn't pay attention and you didn't do it. And you're going to have to give an account for all of that. I would rather be able to stand there before the Lord and say, Good and well done, thy faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he is lazy, he's wicked, and that which he has needs to be taken away, and he needs to be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I think the first option is a little bit better. (laughs) We need to be challenged in this. And God wants to send us out. And there's a mindset that says, I will be sent out. I'll be sent out, Lord. Send me. You see... You go back over to Isaiah 6, and you can turn there real quickly. I'm going to read a, a verse of scriptures that really tells of an attitude that we, we want to have. We, we need to have this attitude. Isaiah 6, 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. I said that when I accepted the call to the ministry 30-some years ago. I said in my heart, send me. Every one of you are going to have to say that because God's a gentleman. He won't force you. You've got to say, Lord, send me. And God will send you. Let's stand up. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, we know that there were those who made excuses. But the servant went out and compelled them to come in and fill the Lord's house. And you were given, and you were glorified as the king. And because of the full house, you weren't angry. Father, we just believe that you want us to fill. This is the house you gave us. This is the house that we presently have. Father, I believe you want us to fill it. I believe that when we don't fill it, you're dishonored. Father, I believe that when we fill it, it brings great glory to you. Father, I believe that we come and we present those who are our fruits. We go with tears. Precious seed, we go out with tears, but we come back with rejoicing, with sheaves, or with those who we have convinced to love you and to lay down their life for you, Lord. And we present them to you. Paul said, presenting every man unto you. And Father, we just thank you that we can do that. And Father, I pray today that we get a hold of this, that the house of God is a house of prayer. Father, that we get a hold of this, that the house of God is a house of Not only of prayer, but it's a house of store where we store up the resources to be able to preach, to be able to meet needs, to be able to bless people. But Father, it's also a house that when we have prayer and when we have resources, we've got buildings, we've got finances, we've got people that are anointed, we've got preaching, we've got a pastor, we've got all these things, that then we need to be a house of going out and bringing in. 